What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as always, is Ben Fisher. Ben, how are you this week? I'm doing pretty well. We've got a, a fun tournament coming up this weekend. I have been just uh, cruising through Historic, having a lot of fun playing my trusty mono green deck. Uh, I hear there's some spoilers happening. I've been so focused on mono green. I, I just can't think about anything else right now. Some kind of called harm. I don't uh, know what's cold, going on yeah, out cold there. Harm. <laughs> cold harm. <laughs> it's what, what, when you go outside without dressing in enough layers, you get some of that cold harm, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, call time spoilers are in full swing, and we'll have more on that in the coming weeks as that kind of fills up and we get the rest of the set. But this week, we are on episode number 30. We're doing a Back to Basics episode for our, for our series there. This one is Combat Tricks. We're doing a deep dive on Combat Tricks, talking all about the different types of Combat Tricks we see, uh, what we tend to see in different colors as well, and what you can expect to see coming up in the next set, honestly. Uh, a lot of these things tend to carry over from set to set, so hopefully you pick up a few new things to look at in the beginning of a new format. But before we get into that, of course, there's our Discord. Feel free to check that out. That is the place you can go to kind of interact with us on a more regular basis, as well as the rest of the community here. It's growing steadily, and we've been having some pretty great conversations. Of course, all the call time spoilers have sparked a lot of conversation there as well, and we have all sorts of channels for pretty much every draft format and a number of constructed ones as well. That said, the podcast is brought to you by Patreon. That's right. You, the listener, can contribute directly to the podcast at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. We have five different tiers there, including a number of perks such as stickers, some behind the scenes on the, the podcast episodes, and a whole lot of different stuff in between. So check that out if you're interested in giving back to the show. It really helps us even at the smallest amount of $2 a month. It really helps us continue doing this and keeping the show as great as it can be. All right, Ben, we have a crack draft type thing. Why don't you walk us through what what format we're, we're crack drafting and uh, what our pack looks like? Uh, so this is a format that, well, strangely enough, no one has ever played before. This is the Draft Chaff Cube created by us, of course. Uh, this cube is entirely made of Draft Chaff. That's it. It's just the draft trap cube. It's awesome. We've been spending a lot of time working on this. There's some really fun archetypes. And we thought we'd open up with a crack a draft of this cube to kind of show off what this cube has to offer. You'll notice that some of these uh, seem more played than others. Some of these have seen a little bit of play, but primarily these are all cards that would be considered draft shaft. You would find these cards at the end of the table after a draft. Cards that no one really wants, no one really cares about these days. Maybe they've seen some play in the past, but currently they're definitely draft shaft. Yeah, and no matter thing, what the one, internet commenters say. <laughs> yeah, Ben's referring to a Reddit thread we have where a bunch of folks are giving us some really good advice on this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Shade aside, <laughs> uh, we've been getting some really good advice and uh, feedback on this cube. Of course, this is the first cube either of us have built, and we built it together, so it's kind of a special special cube in that way. But mm -hmm. um, it's pretty pretty fun. Being that it's just a draft draft cube, I think it's got a lot of gusto and is going to be a pretty exciting <laughs> format to actually get to play. Uh, it's also extremely cheap. So if you're interested in picking up a copy of this cube, it runs you at like less than $70 right now for the entire 360 card cube. Um, and that gives you plenty of room to foil things out and make it all fancy. I know Ben and I are both looking forward to doing that. There are already changes we're looking to make to it. So be on the lookout for that. <laughs> and if you're interested in seeing the cube in its, in, in its totality, it's up on Cube Cobra. You can find the link to that in our Discord as well as on our Twitter page. It'll be there by the time this episode is posted. So check that out. But Ben, walk us through the pack. Sure. First up, we've got Ring of Thune. This is a two-mana artifact equipment. The equipped creature has vigilance, and at the beginning of your upkeep, put a plus one, plus one counter on the equipped creature if it's white. 
This has equipped one. Equipment is a theme, and notably, it's in white and red. As you could probably guess, this card has a, uh, a sister card that does the same kind of effect if it's red. Uh, it's fine. I'm not first picking it. it. It does go in the equipment deck, though. Next up, we've got Golgari Guildgate. This is a black-green gate. Lands are good in this cube, uh, as there are plenty of multicolored options, as we were sure to include. And black-green is one of the stronger ones, because black and green both have some pretty intense color requirements, as some of these uh, tend to, right? We have a lot of big spiders, and those tend to be pretty green. But not taking a first pick. Next up, we have Presence of Gond. This is two and a green for an aura. It has tap, or sorry, the enchanted creature has tap, put a 1-1 green elf warrior creature token onto the battlefield. This is one half of our splinter twin combo of Presence of Gond and Midnight Guard. Midnight Guard is a 2-3 for two and a white. that says whenever a creature comes into the battlefield, untap it. So if you're able to put Presence of Gond onto Midnight Guard, you can tap it. It makes an elf that untaps Midnight Guard, and then you tap it again, and you make infinite elves. So you can actually gain infinite life in this cube, you can drain for infinite damage. There's some pretty fun things you can do. Uh, this is a pretty high pick. I might be starting out with this, but we have some other fun options here. Danica Capuchin, Paragon. This is two and a white for a 2-2 First Strike Vigilance Lifelink. Ours and equipments cost one less. Again, a plant for our artifact and equipment deck. Next up, we've got Hordling Outburst. This is a sorcery, one red red. Create three 1-1 one, one red goblin creature tokens. This is a shout out to the Sacrifice deck. It likes to have a lot of little tokens and fodder running around. And there is a token sub-theme. Sometimes green can pair well and use tokens to its advantage. Next, we have Epic Downfall. One of the black for a sorcery. Exile target creature with converted mana cost three or greater. Eh, solid removal. You can take this this pretty early. Next up, we've got a... Well, in each card, we have a... Not a joke. And uh, I will I say, it was pretty jokes. funny... <laughs> In the thread that people started about uh, this cube, everyone was like, well, there's a few cards in here that are pretty bad. You should take out this, this, this. And there are just several of our like joke insert cards. Yeah, one thing it's worth <laughs> mentioning here is that when we built the cube, we broke it down by color, archetype. We had a couple of different ways that we broke down what cards we're going to include in the, in the cube. We specifically selected one card slot for each color that we considered the like LOL section where just, <laughs> we just inserted a joke card in the color that also had some amount of support like they can work as cards in the format but they're really just joke like plants to be a joke uh, and then we also had 10 cards that were what we called chaff masters picks which were just cards that ben and i both really wanted to see in the cube so they may not quite fit in as well as as we would like them to we did put some thought into which ones we we picked there but there are a handful of cards that might seem weird in the cube uh but those those were picked on purpose and probably won't be getting cut <laughs> <laughs> The, one of them is Triskai Decophobia. This is three and a black for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose one. Each player with 13 life loses the game, then each player gains one life. Or each player with 13 life loses the game, and each player loses one life. And of course, the art is amazing. It has like 13s everywhere, and there's like 13 blood drippings on the wall, and 13 branches in the background, and 13 candles or whatever. Uh, this this card is just a, a joke. Yeah. That, Probably not the pick here. <laughs> Next up, we've got Carvin Karyatid. This is one green green for a 2-5 with Defender. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. This is pretty good in a few different decks. Uh, blue green cares about card draw. Uh, drawing your second card for the turn, as well as uh, the Big Butts deck, which uh, Assault Formation 
causes creatures to deal damage with their toughness. This is a three mana five five in that deck that draws a card. That's a that's a pretty strong card for that. Next up, we've got Rakdos Guild Gate. This is a black red gate. Again, good, but not taking it early. We've got Cyclops Electromancer. This is four and a red for a four two. When it enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to target creature and opponent controls, where X is the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. Blue-red spells, unsurprising, did make it in. Next up, we've got Pia and Kira Nalar. All right, this one we had to swing pretty hard on the chaff. It's chaff now. Wasn't back then. Uh, this is two red-red. When Pia and Kira Nalar enters the battlefield, put a 1-1 colorless stop to artifact. Token, creature with flying onto the battlefield. Uh... You can pay two and a red, sacrifice an artifact to have Pia and Kirin deal two to target creature or player. I didn't know, uh, mention that there are two, two. So red actually can go wide with tokens, like we mentioned earlier. It can also be part of the sacrifice deck. Now, black-red sacrifice wants as many things on the battlefield as possible. And there's a hidden archetype, uh, black-red ping, which involves giving creatures death touch and having them ping other creatures. So Pia and Kirin can do that. There's a few other examples of that uh, that can it can go off with that. Or you can just, you know, combine a bunch of ping effects to slowly wither away your opponent. Next up, we've got a more traditional black-red sacrifice card. This is Falconrath Aristocrat. And yes, it is chaff. It was printed in a master set, I, I think. And it's chaff then. It's printed it rare. No one wanted it, <laughs> despite what the internet says. Uh, this is two black-red for a 4-1 vampire with flying and haste. You can sacrifice a creature to give Falconrath Aristocrat indestructible until end of turn. If that sacrificed creature was a human, put a 1-1 counter on Falconrath Aristocrat. This is also a bit of a pet card of mine. I love the Aristocrat. Next up, we've got Stormgeist. This is 3 blue blue for an XX Spirit. Stormgeist's power and toughness are equal to the number of cards in your hand. Whenever Stormgeist deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. This thing can get pretty big, and also the drawing multiple cards uh, makes it a big creature, with which blue-green wants, and also the fact that it draws an extra card for the turn. Next up, we've got Colostria Healer. This is 1 black for a Vampire Cleric Ally, importantly enough. It's a 1-2. And it has Rally. Whenever Colostria Healer or another ally enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Black-White is a life drain theme, unsurprisingly, but with a twist. It's Allies. So Black-White Allies was a pretty fun draft archetype. Didn't really see much constructed play, although I do have a 60-card ally deck that my friends just hated me for playing because <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So a few of those made it in. Uh, actually, Mardu, the Wedge, Black, Red, and White all have allies available to them. So uh, last card in the pack, we've got Vine Mare. This is two green green for a 5-3 Hexproof. It can't be blocked by black creatures. So we actually started a little behind the scenes. We started with a cycle of the mares. Uh, there's a kind of hate mare for each color. Uh, a white one that does a thing, prevents a red spells from doing a thing, and a blue one that prevents whatever from doing whatever. Uh, we actually cut very, all of them except for... descriptions of those cards, Ben. Thank you. Look, what were those? <laughs> M19? I don't remember all those cards. Hold on, hold on. The red one hates on white. The blue one hates on green. The green one hates on black. The black one hates on... Uh, white? And the red one hates on blue? Did I get that? that sounds about right, yeah. Someone fact-checked me, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Anyway, they all have unique effects. We ended up cutting all of them except for Vinemare, as it fits the green power matters archetype very well. 
this is actually two power matters kind of combined. Historically, we've had four power matters and five power matters. So we just kind of took the best of both worlds. Fine Mare happens to trigger all of the above. So I think we actually saw pretty much every archetype represented in this pack, which is why I like it so much. What's your pick here, dude? There's a lot to, to unpack. There, There is a lot here. Um, one other thing that's worth mentioning, too, is that we have, and, and we're planning to add this to the cube cover. If it's not up by the time this episode is released, it will be up soon. But we want to have an archetype breakdown on the cube cobra description of the the format so it's a little bit easier to understand what cards you should be looking to take with what other cards uh, it can mm. be kind of hard to go through blind and understand like which cards do like which cards support each other and all that kind of stuff but we did happen to see just about every main archetype we do have a bunch of hidden archetypes and that's one thing we're interested in testing to see if it's actually supported in such we yeah. support two color pairs but we also support three color wedges hopefully there's not a ton of fixing in the set but we may have to tweak that but we wanted to support three color wedges as well so ben made an allusion to the big butts deck as it were uh that's kind of a, a salt um sorry a bant uh wedge that we can look to put together there are also a number of five color archetypes that i'm not going to go into uh but there are some <laughs> of them those are too much fun save that for the listener to figure out yeah that said what do i pick here i kind of want to take falcon wrath aristocrat because i really like the black red archetype we put together we yeah. see a, a couple of cards in this pack that that kind of go well with it so we can wheel something from this none of the lands here are super exciting and i i like your thought on presence of gond I think I'd probably go with Falconrath Aristocrat myself, just as one of the cards that's like pretty hard to replace in this cube. There aren't a there aren't mm. a ton of cards that give the same effect, and if you end up in the black red sack deck, or really any deck that can make a bunch of creatures, it's gonna be good. Yeah, I think the only deck we don't see here is blue white flicker, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh I'm probably personally on either Presence of Gond, Pia and Kieran Nalar, or the uh Sturmgeist. I think these are all pretty strong picks. They're all really nice uh, too, yeah. Yeah, they're all great in their archetype. The green decks also have the ability to go very wide with tokens as well as going tall. Uh, green white is a go wide kind of overrun big thing. Hmm. Yeah, this one's tough. I'm probably on Piet and Kieran or Sturmgeist. Maybe Presence of God if I'm feeling spicy and uh, also feeling lucky. It's similar to the twin combo. However, the actual twin combo and say like Vintage Cube, it has multiple combo pieces. Uh, in this one, it's a little weaker because you do have to hope to just spike both. But come on, if you're not in exactly green and white, no one really wants the, the Presence of God or the Midnight Guard. I have actually assembled it in testing. So we will see if that happens again in some gameplay. Yeah, you know, I think, I think I'm pulled off of the Aristocrat. I probably would go Stormgeist here because it fits into a number of different archetypes and is good in pretty much all of them uh, that mm. it does fit into. So yeah, I think I think that's what my pick would be. Though I, I would like to put the, the Aristocrats deck together. Absolutely. And the Falcon Wrath is a, a fun way to start it. So you want to get into some Teferi and Tybalt? Yeah, let's do it. So I guess I'll start us off. My Teferi this week, well, I have a new mic. Hopefully at this point you've heard that. Uh, hopefully this is <laughs> a little bit better audio quality than before. I The mic I had was decent, uh, but I just did a little bit of an upgrade to fit my living situation a bit better. I've upgraded to a, di a dynamic mic. I say upgrade in quotes there because condenser mics and dynamic mics have their their pros and cons uh, but given that i don't have a sound treated room uh, dynamic mic's a little bit better for my situation and so hopefully my audio is a little crisper a little less background noise and things of that nature but mm. i'm enjoying it it's, it's a great mic went with the road pod sounds box, good to so. me 
Yeah. Uh, the other half of my Teferi is that I start my new job next week. The, my laptop for work just came in today, which is exciting. I have, hey. to, have to get my workstation set up and, and get all that together. Uh, so it's nice. exciting to get, get started with, with the new job and see where that takes me. My Tybalt this week is that I had an extremely w- rough week. Some of you guys in the Discord know that I've been a little bit distant this week. Not going to go into the details on the show, but it was just a lot of personal stuff kind of blew up this week. Uh, and it was, mm. it was a bit messy. Understandable. Yeah, but how about you? Well, uh, after that, I mean, my Teferi seems a little, not shallow, but my hair is finally long enough that I can put it in a bun again. <laughs> oh my gosh, people, I did notice uh, that, by the way. Yeah, uh, it's it's not all of it. Some people may know uh, that I used to have very long hair. I used to have it pretty long, but I had an undercut. My, my sides of my head were shaved, but the top was long. And I used to wear it up or down, depending on how I felt. But uh, then I cut it all off uh, as kind of a I'm done with college thing. But then the pandemic started and I realized, well, I mean, now is the time to, first of all, it, it, for a while, you couldn't go and get a haircut. That was, you know, people were rioting in the streets about that. That was a whole thing. And also, at the same time, right now is a great time to, you know, test out new hairstyles, test out some new fashion. Worst case scenario, you're not going to see anyone. (laughs) No one's going to see you. So uh, you may as well do it. So I started growing my hair back out again. And now it's finally long enough to put back up. So I've got it out of my eyes for good, which is convenient. It's the little things (laughs) that make your day during the pandemic. Do you do you wear it in a bun at school? You know, I haven't yet, actually. And it's strange because the sides are not long enough. I, I'm only putting the top up right now. And you can't see because I have my headset on. But if I take it off, you'll notice that it's not a great look <laughs> to have the sides like flared out like that. So maybe it, I'm, I'm getting closer to the uh, ideal. But right now, it's still it just can part by itself. Anyway, uh, speaking of school, my Tybalt this week, I go back to hybrid teaching next week. So I've been virtual for several months Uh, due to some closings and outbreaks in the local area. However, uh, we are headed back to school next week. Not everybody. Some students will still be at home, most of them, in fact. But I'm going to be in school, and they have a promise of a vaccine clinic on the way. Oh, that's actually cool. Yeah, it's going to be good to, uh, to be able to get the vaccine. Teachers in New Jersey got grouped into Group 1B, so we're right after some of the more priority people like doctors and nurses and such. But at the same time, I'm pretty nervous to be going back before all that, given that cases are quite literally at their highest. <laughs> so I'm not really sure where this sequence of events came from, how this, you know, how this started. But whatever, uh, I'm going to do my best to stay distant and, you know, hope it'll be good to see some of my students in person again. I've missed seeing people in real life. Yeah, definitely. Well, good luck with that. Hopefully that all works out. You know, like you said, you can only do your best and the rest of it, you know, comes out in the wash, I guess. Yeah. Well, that brings us to our listener question of the week. This week, Dorigan asks, what kind of snow hate would you like to see in Kaldheim? So this is a big question because we've seen a lot of, and at the point that this episode is being recorded, we haven't seen everything, right? We, we haven't seen all of Kaldheim yet, but we've seen a lot of snow permanent related cards, cards that care about snow permanence, and we haven't really mm. seen a whole lot of stuff that hates on those cards. So the worry is that a lot of the constructed formats and even potentially limited is going to be overrun by snow permanence to the point where there's nothing you can do to them. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so Ben, what kind of snow hate would you like to see? Yeah, this is a great question because it kind of gets to the core of the problem. Right now, the, the big thing everyone was worrying about with snow coming back was, will there be snow hate? Because right now, to my knowledge, there's not a lot of it unless you look way back at like, what, Thermokarst? Uh, it's like one green, green sorcery, destroy land if it was snow, gain a life. And that's not actually that big of an upside yeah, if yeah. we're being honest with ourselves. It would be kind of cool to see that reprinted, but that might be a little strong even for today's today's standard. The thing is, we have to decide whether the snow hate is strong enough to prevent 
everyone from just playing all snow lands, all snow basics, that is. So for example, if you are playing standard in several months after call times come out, let's say there's no snow hate, then it is from a win percentage standpoint, technically correct to use all snow lands, right? All snow basics, because otherwise it is signaling to your opponent that you do not have cards that care about snow. This is a pretty significant gameplay wise. This means that they know that they don't have to play around different combat tricks that might be snow based. I, we already saw a green one spoiled. Uh, this means that they know things about your sideboard, potentially what you could be playing. They know things about your deck just from seeing your lands. So it would be correct for everyone to play all snow basics because then there would be no information revealed. They would just assume that uh, you could have them, but you might not. Right. So the thing is, we need to find a way to create a snow card that, or a, a snow hate card that is strong enough to prevent this from happening. Strong enough that prevents everyone from just playing all snow basics for that little extra value of information protection. So I think I'd like to see some kind of snow hate that is a very clear sign. Do not put all snow basics in your deck or you will get punished by this specific card. I think this card should be colorless because I think all decks should have access to it. I think that was, that's a good way to make sure it's well-rounded and fair. Um, I don't think any particular color. Green can hate on lands a bit better than other things or uh, non-creature permanents. I, I guess green could melt some snow. Red, perhaps, too. But I think this should be a way that all decks would have access to if they ever did come across an opponent that was like that. I think that's how it would have to be printed, to be fair. I don't know, maybe some kind of colorless way of punishing snow. Uh, a winter orb that causes snow permanents oh, no. to not untap. <laughs> why do Something we, like that, why maybe. Do we care, why do we care so much about non-snow decks playing snow lands? Outside of that, that uh, you know, general concealing of information, sort of, or protecting against information. You know, that's honestly most of it. In limited, we will have to draft the snowlands, uh, right. so you can't just go over to your. I mean, if we were in person, you'd be able to go over and grab some basics. There's not going to be a second pile of snow mountains that you can grab next to your mountains. You're gonna have to actually draft those. So it's not going to matter too much for us limited players, I don't think. However, for constructed, uh, I think it really is just that. I can't think of any other reasons off the top of my head uh, besides the fact that the prices on those old full art snowlands from Horizons are going to go way up. Yeah. No, I, my question is mostly just, you know, I can understand that perhaps anybody who's kind of unfamiliar with the snow permanent type as, as a whole might be thinking, like, what's the downside? They're still just basics, right? They do have the snow subtype as well. They are snow permanents, but they're still just basics. They don't generate you any extra mana. And if your deck isn't designed to leverage the snow permanence why do we mm -hmm. care if everybody can just play them without repercussions well it's kind of annoying for people that you know have favorite basic lands right uh i don't and people <laughs> magic players take their lands very seriously there are land power rankings out there and of this course some true. are more correct than others um that being said people care about their lands to the point where if there was suddenly a reason to play other lands this is uh, if there was no snow hate cards like like we expect to be printed if none of these are printed then this is the game telling us you are losing a slight edge against other players that do sacrifice the use of their favorite basics in favor of snow basics because it nets them a little bit of win percentage right yeah, a little you, bit of you end value up with an objectively correct land, basic land choice which is more or less silly mm -hmm. like up up until this point your basic land only differed in the art that was on the card the the actual yeah 
like gameplay impetus on that card was the exact same regardless of who illustrated it. But the snow, your the snowlands actually do change that because they have a different subtype that that matters in the game. Which I yeah I, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. as far as snow hate is concerned, there's there's a second side to that coin that we haven't really mentioned, and that is there are non land snow permanents. So mm-hmm. what what would you like to see more? Should should you be given the choice, right? If you could only pick one of the two types of cards, would you rather see a snow hate card that only affected lands to get rid of this kind of impetus on making sure that you're playing the quote-unquote correct basics or would you like to see cards that hate on actual non-land snow permanents because those I are the cards I mean, that probably affect affect the game as far as the the payoff cards right mm-hmm. i think it's gonna be more important to have a, a way to punish the playing of the lands because otherwise let's say maybe i am playing a deck that had i decide to put in all snow basics despite my deck being i don't know what's it like teamer ramp i'm playing teamer ramp with no snow stuff but i just put in all snow basics just so my opponent has to play around that they might see that they would side in that hate card that you're describing one that hates on snow permanence uh to no effect right maybe because they think i might be siding in some snow permanence on the sideboard even though they didn't see any in game one so then that's just not very great for gameplay that's kind of just rude meanwhile, <laughs> i think that that meanwhile yeah. a card that hates on the lands will affect both the snow decks that care about snow permanence and the decks that that don't actually so you limit that that whole issue with the basic land thing yeah i think I exactly think I that yeah so i i think uh we needed some way of i mean i'm I, as for a physical card maybe like whenever a maybe something like three mana artifact whenever a snow permanent Whenever a snow land becomes untapped, it deals one damage to its controller or something like that. Whenever so you're a you're not looking like a Ponza route. You don't want to destroy all their lands. No, I think it should be a slower but applicable to every deck. Something that could potentially punish every deck for playing this and approximately equally. I don't think there should be any deck that should be able to get around this. I don't know. I'm pretty interested to see what it is. I do think it has to be significantly powerful or else it will just be correct to run all snow basics because uh, it opens you up to playing, potentially playing a whole lot more cards. And what we've seen so far, there's some pretty strong snow permanence and and things that we want to cast. So the ability to represent that is fairly strong. Yeah, I like the idea of some sort of ping effect that, you know, it it hurts you for using your snow permanence. Like it doesn't really hurt you for having them, but if you want to use them, you have to have some kind of cost. I like that. Yeah, some way of punishing the decks that would do this otherwise. Uh, it, there needs to be a way of saying, hey, you, you're not actually trying to play snow cards. Stay in line. Yeah. <laughs> get back to your, well, get back to basics. <laughs> uh, no. Well, thanks, Dorgan, for the question. That was, a, that was a nice conversation we had there on that. And hopefully that gave you kind of a, a little look into what we are thinking when it comes to the snow hate. Mm. To start it off, we have combat trick deep dive. Now, this wasn't the original plan for the episode. When I started writing some of these notes, I originally had had a thought in my head of wanting to deep dive on one specific idea. But then I kind of just expanded that as I started thinking, well, Zach and I have a lot of experience with combat tricks. What if we turn this into a full basics episode where we run through the main archetypes of combat tricks? We've seen enough at this point that we're able to recognize these general shells of of combat tricks and uh, maybe provide some insight into how to use them, play around them, rate them, all the above. So uh, if, uh, if creatures and removal spells are the meat and potatoes of limited, I'd like to say that combat tricks are the spices on top. So do you have to put spices on your meat and potatoes? No, uh, but you'll find yourself immensely rewarded if you use them properly, right? If you use too much or too little or use them at the wrong time, you're going to wind up with quite a mess on your hands. Now, uh, we define a combat trick specifically to be any instant speed effect previously unknown to your opponent. So for example, sorceries cannot be combat tricks 
in almost every scenario, but an aura that has flash could be. Uh, an onboard effect like activating Teeter Peak Ambusher's ability, that's not a combat trick, your opponent sees it. Uh, and we're going to ignore a few different things here. We're going to ignore morphs flipping those. We're going to ignore uh, blue tap uh, and prevent from untapping effects. We're going to uh, ignore unconditional removal in favor of things that more directly impact combat. Some of these have applications outside of it. Honestly, we could probably do a whole episode on when to use unconditional removal spell limited, right? Yeah, that, honestly, that, that could be its own back to basics in the future. Yeah. Mm. So one question we occasionally get is how to begin analyzing new cards. So we're right in the middle of spoiler season. This is kind of the perfect time. And while it's important to look at the cards within the context of their limited environment, so within Kaldheim for these new ones, uh, for example, in some of the first magic sets, a four mana 3-3 with no other text was like good. We can also look at some of the historical precedents. Yeah, so at this point, we've played limited for so long that it's pretty easy to recognize a lot of these archetypal combat tricks that Ben was mentioning. They're not everything you could ever encounter. Sometimes design just, you know, it evolves. It's an evolving process. So sometimes you see new cards that don't fit these molds, but these patterns are what we tend to see in in any given set. Uh, we're going to break down the kinds of combat tricks that tend to appear in every contemporary magic set and discuss their upsides, their downsides. And then that way, when you see these things in your call time pre-release or your first draft of the set, your first uh, sealed pool, you've got some idea on how to use all these things. So we're going to walk through some heuristics to analyze uh, combat tricks first, and then we're going to walk through all the different colors and what kind of archetypal combat tricks you can expect to find in a given color in a given set. Right. So in the average game of limited, unless one player is the extreme aggressor, maybe your opponent missing land drops or the decks are just working out that way, your ultimate goal should be card advantage and mana advantage. So trading a combat trick for an expensive creature is card neutral, but mana advantage, right? So you want to save your tricks for this. If you can say, if you can, I don't know, practice tactics away a big thing, you've traded a card for a card, but you traded a one mana spell for a six mana spell. And that isn't as significant as card advantage. You should prioritize card advantage over this, but mana advantage does add up. In general, I tend to prioritize tricks for use in gaining card advantage over mana advantage. So you should generally use a first strike effect to blow out, say, a double block, even if it means maybe some mana inefficiency, like not casting the spell that you want to that turn, playing something else instead. Of course, this is context dependent, but I look for ways to turn my combat tricks into two for ones rather than just one for ones. Yeah, but there there is something to be said there about that mana advantage, right? Because in the example Ben presented, you know, you practice tactics, you spend one mana on something to get rid of their four drop. Well, now you have essentially three extra mana, assuming that, that they didn't get a head on curve or something like that you're roughly at turn four if they have a four drop on the field you have three extra mana that's a double that's a second spell you can play you can get another mm -hmm. creature on board and that puts you ahead from a tempo perspective which is huge in limited yeah so say you attack a 2-2 two -two into their 2-2 two -two on your turn three and they block okay that that's sounds pretty normal it's like a one for one trade on their part it's often better to allow this trade even if you have a trick that's going to cost one because you have, you know, one mana up, let's say. Um, it's better to get some onboard advantage early in the game rather than to trade for a little bit of mana advantage. And in this case, getting that that blocker out of the way may be huge for your, your future turns. Mm -hmm. It's good in this case to be able to land your three drop rather than just one for wanting. Well, you might be getting a little bit of mana advantage and trading a card for a card here. It probably isn't worth it to allow that. In fact, in some cases, you probably shouldn't attack there at all, depending on what you know the context of the set is. There are definitely places where that is the right thing to do, though. Uh, in most cases, I think it is. So you also should consider what other cards you have in your deck. So let's say you're getting beaten down by a 3-3 in the late game, and you have a 
one one and a combat trick that gives plus two plus two so if you're live to draw like four drops that have four toughness i don't know say a, a spitfire legac or something it's probably worth trading a little bit of life to try and wait and draw that if you know that you have a bunch of cards in your deck they're gonna just gonna brick this three three you would rather try to do that than two for one right because in this case we're talking about a two for one against yourself you're you're mm. going down on the card advantage right and that's something that that we're looking at too we're, we're kind of this whole time what we're talking about here is managing resources and that's generally what a game of magic all boils down to anyway but you're managing your mana you're managing your cards and your life total and in this case life total is something that you can use repeatedly to to spend to basically buy yourself time to find some cards that will get you out of a situation permanently whereas a combat trick might get you out of the situation for now drawing that that four drop might get you out of it permanently and really make them you know leave your combat trick up to be live for some other threat you don't know how to deal with so you want to look at the context of the trick tricks often have set mechanics that are stapled to them and not all set mechanics are created equal of course some things are just better than others um scry and similar mechanics can can even make mediocre tricks pretty good and a lot of we see a lot of red red uh, combat tricks do this where they just randomly tack on draw a card and that makes those cards quite a bit more playable because you're replacing the card and, and that can be a huge deal mm. i'm really interested to see how foretell works out with some of these combat tricks that we're starting to see spoiled uh like you mentioned these are kind of the combat tricks that have the set mechanics stapled onto them with foretell right so i think they seem pretty good a lot of these you can foretell for two and then play for one of the ones we've seen spoiled so far so i think a common play pattern in call time limited is going to be passing the turn with maybe one or two mana up and maybe a few cards that you foretold earlier in the game I think foretell on turn two and then play a three drop is going to be a pretty common play pattern for what we've seen so far. Yeah, agreed. So what we're going to do is run through the five colors and look at the archetypal combat tricks for each of these colors and break down where they usually fall. If they're good, if they're bad, uh, sorry, colorless Colorless combat tricks don't come very often. I guess there was one though. What was that one called? Warping Whale? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Yeah, but I think I think that technically wasn't colorless, right? It was devoid. Ah, okay, whatever. <laughs> like it, it still had a it still had a color to its ca- uh, casting cost. Anywho, let's start with our first white combat trick. So this is what we call the low cost white spell that affects an attacking or blocking creature. So practice tactics is one. This deals a certain amount of damage to an attacking or blocking creature. Divine Arrow from Ikoria does the same thing. Uh, farm to market from uh, from Amonkhet does something similar, except instead of dealing damage, it destroys. So this is usually a pretty okay card to put in your decks. They're usually very cheap. These cards tend to hover between a C- or a C+. It is playable removal, but it's naturally at odds with white decks for... You know, these white decks want to get in damage. But if they get to block with their creature, then that means you're not attacking through with whatever they blocked. So these ones can be pretty okay at racing because you get to maybe deploy a few spells and then uh, destroy one of their key attackers. And you can also use these to blow out double blocks pretty effectively. So these overall, they're pretty fine. Yeah, and unfortunately, these cards tend to be White's removal spells. A lot of the time, we see these as White's removal spells as opposed to taking, like, a combat trick slot in, in your head. You tend to think, of, like, Practice Tactics is one of the better White removal spells in Zendikar Rising. It just happens to be that you need to get creatures into combat to use it, uh, which makes their the White removal kind of conditional in that way. But they, they work fine if, if you really do think about them as, as combat tricks, and Ben mentioned a few of the downsides and upsides there. Mm. So the next kind we want to talk about is is the protection slash indestruction spell. White tends to have a lot of these effects where they give, you you look at things like Sajiri Shelter or Feet of Resistance, they give some effect and then also Hexproof or Indestructible or Protection, something like that to 
give your creature a little bit of an edge or keep it around. Lately, we've been seeing a lot of this in protection, but it, they do tend to be indestructible as well. So these are a little bit better. They tend to have use in like blowing out non-combat removal spells as well, which gives them a little bit of an edge. Uh, giving your creature protection at instant speed when it's got a, a removal spell targeting it can be quite good because you're replacing either a cheap spell for a more expensive spell, as we talked about with the mana advantage, or a card that is less useful for a card that's more useful, things like that. Uh, they tend to range from like the C plus to B plus, uh, kind of section and also kind of considered as safe combat tricks because even if the opponent has a combat trick also at worst you're getting one for one and just trading your trick for their trick and both creatures stay alive um, the protection bonus really can help end a game against a monocolored deck as well because you can fire this off maybe before combat and just swing in when uh they can't block with anything. Next up, we've got the white pump smell with a small upside. So resolute strike, one white to give plus two plus two, and then some other text about warriors. I don't know. I've never done that. Uh, Will of the All Hunter from Ikoria, Karametra's Blessing from Theros. So these are usually pretty weak. The question is, how relevant is the small upside portion? Uh, in the case of Resolute Strike, it's just about worthless, right? But some of the other ones can have application. I've cast Karametra's Blessing a few times, and Will of the All Hunter, you could play that in some of the cycling decks. These tend to range between D- minus to C. These are pretty basic, but can actually be effective in what you might say a, a bad aggro deck, as people won't usually play around this, and they're usually pretty cheap effects. So this can be good if you're just playing a bunch of little dorks that have to attack to win the game. Now, these are some of the easiest ones that you can get blown out with via removal spells or opposing combat tricks. This is about the worst that the white combat tricks have to offer. Yeah, so next up is the go-wide spell. And these are generally cards like Dauntless Unity or Coordinated Charge. Tend to be a build around, but they can be pretty powerful. They're either either like a D or a B. There's not really a whole lot of in-between. And in sets with go-wide strategies or token strategies, they can be pretty en like game-ending. A full swing usually means they, they have it and are prepared to either kill you in one hit or just make enough trades that you can't really recover from that. So you should know when to play around these and when to set up blocks accordingly. Pay attention to when your opponent's alpha striking in a situation where they probably shouldn't be with some mana up because that probably means they've got one of these spells. Mm -hmm. I hate to admit that I've lost a Dauntless Unity, but... You know, I'm not playing around it most of the time. Every once in a while, though, it happens. Next up, we've got Blue. So Blue is not really known for its combat tricks, but it does have a handful. So the first one is the minus power effect. So this comes in three different flavors. Sometimes it hits all creatures with a minor debuff, something like a Hampering Snare or Bayin Veil. Sometimes it's an okay debuff, but it sticks around. Uh, the last example of this I could find was So Tiny. Uh, sea Legs is also an example. So we haven't seen one super recently, but they, they do show up. And most effectively, uh, we see the specific target that gives a large debuff at the time, but it's an instant speed effect. So we see Chilling Trap, for example. Uh, Chilling Trap is a much better version of this than usual, as it usually draws a card in the Wizards decks. And uh, the Auras can be removed later, and that creature can usually still block. This can also be used to swing a close race as a life gain effect if you need to, say, give an attacking creature minus power to prevent yourself from dying. So this has a good amount of use. I would say that these tend to vary from F to, say, a B minus. Yeah, these effects can be kind of all over the place. And like you said, Chilling Trap is kind of an exception here. It's a little bit more powerful than we're used to seeing with these effects, but they are pretty versatile, which means that they have some flexibility in your deck lists and can be used in a number of different situations. Mm. There was one time when I had a pretty big board state. I was playing a white aggro deck, uh, pretty, pretty aggressive. I forget what color it was paired with, to be honest. But I do remember that I had a huge board. I think it was black-white, actually. I had a... I had a 
Canyon Jerboa, and I had just pumped my entire board, and I had activated the uh, other combat effect that lets you pump your whole team. So I had just activated that one little white dork. His, he pumped my whole team. So all my creatures had plus two, plus two. Uh, I attacked in, and my opponent, Bayin Veiled. Yeah. And I was like, well, <laughs> all my hard work for nothing, right? And I, I lost that game. So these can be useful, but they're also very situational. Definitely. So the, ne- the next category here in blue is the quote-unquote plus toughness with a splash of hexproof, as we're coming to call it. Yeah, uh, yeah. These are cards like Shell Shield, Dive Down, Starlet Mantle. They give some kind of benefit to the toughness of a creature, but then they also give them hexproof as well for for little cost similar to white's protection spell these are pretty versatile and they're often versatile enough that they're usually pretty good and worth a slot in your deck sometimes they have some extra synergies such as shell shield you might just toss a bunch of shell shields in your deck because they have kicker Um, often they fall around like a c c minus but these also often involve the main sets mechanic as we see with a card like shell shield or some sort of other synergy if they're good then then like if the synergies are good then the card tends to be quite a bit better Um, and these are also better at blocking than most other tricks a lot of other tricks tend to be aggressive in nature these are quite a bit better on the defensive side so as an honorable mention in blue i decided to include bounce spells i think these probably fall more close to unconditional removal than anything else however because they still have a wide use of combat application such as bouncing an attacker or blowing out a double block i figured it was probably worth mentioning them now these are fairly high picks if they're the four mana instant variant that blows out uh, uh something and draws you a card if it's just a an unsummon effect, maybe like a one mana instant that returns something to its owner's hand, those are not nearly as good. So Into the Royal is uh, quite great, as people tend to know if you've been playing Zeneca Rising Limited. Stern Dismissal, for example, uh, the one from Ikoria, is not. The difference, Into the Royal draws you a card for four mana and returns something. Stern Dismissal just balances something to its owner's hand. So that's card disadvantage. It, it can swing some tempo and it can be useful in combat. However, uh, you don't really want to put card disadvantage in your deck if you don't have to. Uh, something interesting about these is that you can always bounce your own creature. They can be kind of versatile uh, at a bit of a tempo loss. But, you know, sometimes it can save yourself from blowouts or even from removal spells. Uh, actually, I was playing a, a deck this morning where I into the royaled one of my own rogues because my opponent was about to kill it. So that brings us to black. And our first black category here for combat tricks is the subtle strike. And obviously, Subtle Strike is the name of a card, but we see, similar to how how Magic players have done with Bears and other cards of that nature, Hill Giants, when we see a lot of cards with the same or very similar effects at the same cost, we tend to to generalize that name as as a card effect, um, and Subtle Strike is, is one of those here. So these these seem like a pretty common effect these days, which is why we're calling this category, naming it for the whole card, but mostly just because we've seen two of them quite recently. Uh, we saw mm-hmm. them in, in the Kaladesh uh, block, and we saw it in Zendikar Rising as well. This is a fine trick and can even be pretty hard removal, but usually it, it falls around the CEC plus range. Um, don't be afraid to use this solely as a pump or removal spell if you have to, but it does give give you the flexibility to be both and can really blow out uh, an opponent. I think the most common black combat trick is the death touch lifelink indestructible one that we, we see usually one of these per set. So in Zendikar Rising, we have Oblivion's Hunger. Uh, in M21, we had Alchemist's Gift. In Ikoria, we had Unexpected Fangs. So these usually give some pair of these abilities or maybe a bit of uh, power and toughness, usually plus one plus one or plus two plus oh or something like that. And then maybe a little extra something or, or whatnot. So this is the archetypal black combat trick, usually having one or more of these, you know, typically black 
attack keywords and pumping between one and two power. It's fine in aggressive decks, but nothing more than that. These are often between uh, F and C minus. I think Indestructible is the best of these. And then after that, Death Touch and Lifelink are a little closer. I think Death Touch is a bit better. We see Blade Brand in some of the more recent sets. Uh, that was in one of the Ravnica ones, and that card was great. Black usually has better ways of dealing with threats than this, and you shouldn't be running these over even the worst black removal spell in the set. Where do effects like like Malakir Rebirth fall in this spectrum for you? We didn't really mention the the rean- quote-unquote reanimator combat tricks, ones that, that say if this creature dies this turn, return to the battlefield tapped or something of that nature. Uh, where where mm. do you where would you slot that in? Now, for instance, with Malakir Rebirth specifically, it doesn't buff your creature per se, but it does mm-hmm. allow you to kind of make blocks in, in a weird way or turn a double block into a one-for-one one or something of that nature. Uh, yeah, so, that's so true. Where would you where would you want to line those up? See, we have seen a few effects like this recently. I believe in, I think in the last Theros set, there was a an aura with Flash where whenever that creature died, it would get returned onto uh, onto your battlefield. And you like could Kai's uh, ghost form will do the same. Yeah, a lot of these are sorcery speed. I think only Malakir Rebirth and the one from Theros are instant speed. And because this doesn't actually, they don't actually tend to affect the combat at all. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I did consider these, but I was hesitant to call them combat tricks as it doesn't actually affect the result of the combat. It affects uh, what happens afterwards. It affects maybe where the right, cards right. go, but it doesn't change anything about the, the power and toughness or abilities that the creatures that are in combat, perhaps attacking or blocking, have. So I think also out of these effects, Malakir Rebirth is the only one that's been playable <laughs> at all, fair, fair. especially because it was an MDFC and only one mana. The other ones tend to cost like three three even the ones that are sorcery speed can be blown out by different removal spells or bounce spells and i think because those ones are also auras they're also weak to some of the other things that auras are weak to malachi rebirth i think is actually pretty unique as far as that effect goes uh if we could call it a combat trick it'd be you know a little bit higher up there than some of these but i don't i wouldn't actually tend to call that a combat trick yeah i just wanted to to throw that out there as an honorable mention uh because i i expect some listeners might have been thinking about those types of effects mm. but that's kind of all we have for black we're gonna move into red now and the first red category we have for combat tricks here and we're notably we're excluding fling effects those are not included uh in this breakdown but um a lot of those are sorcery speed anyway, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first category we have here is the big pump spell. These are cards like Inordinate Rage, Infuriate, Burn Bright. These are cards that basically just, for a few mana, give your creature a bunch of power and generally not a whole lot more. Sometimes they have extra little effects slapped onto them, like Inordinate Rage, just add Scry 1. Um, but generally, they're used to pump your creatures. And usually only to pump one creature per effect, right? These cards don't tend to bump pump multiple creatures although burn bright is an example of one that that does pump multiple creatures um but sometimes so sometimes they go a little bit wider they're generally in mediocre range to be honest uh tend to be d's c minuses somewhere in that range they can be used to end a game if you swing with a huge board of creatures and then wait until blocks happen and apply the extra the extra power to an unblocked creature or something of that sort but they really aren't too amazing and tend to be better on attacking than blocking in general mm-hmm. next up we've got the first strike sure strike is 
kind of the archetypal example of this. Uh, one in a red gives a creature plus three, plus zero in first strike. Even this is better than the previous big red spells. Even just giving this extra keyword can allow you to more reliably one for one and occasionally two for one. Heightened reflexes from Ikoria, Aspect of Manticore uh, from Theros. This is kind of the staple red combat trick. So buffing power and giving first strike allows you to attack a wall of creatures into a board of maybe a bigger creature or two that might otherwise be able to hold down the fort. Sometimes Sure Strike is like the number one card that you want to draw in your red aggressive deck in limited. However, these are also still usually pretty bad. These ones can be a bit more playable than the previous, still often between a D and a C. Now, these ones can occasionally be used for the same reason. Uh, if you swing wide, you can occasionally use Sure Strike like a lightning bolt and go to the face. But, you know, if you're at that point in the game, good for you. Well, if we have the first strike, we can't really get too far without mentioning the double strike spells. That's our, our next category here. We have cards like Unleash Fury, Raking Claws. Tend to be pretty okay to play, but often will be used as an overcosted first strike trick. And every once in a while, you'll get a, get a free win with it, but not very often. These cards are really good on trample creatures because that double strike actually matters there. Uh, a lot of times these will get... Um, and the instant speed effects, you know, again, can be used when you're swinging wide and pushing that double strike through on, on an unblocked creature but in general you want to use these on something with trample so that it doesn't matter um every once in a while you'll get a free win with it but it doesn't happen all that often they tend to fall around like the c plus ish range uh and notably we're seeing this effect in white in kaldheim with uh the new uncommon that was spoiled kaya's onslaught which is two and a white for an instant target creature gets plus one plus one and gains double strike until end of turn and then it foretells for a, a white um, that one also pumps power, so that that's kind of a good sign as well. A lot of these effects tend to just give double strike, um, so we'll see how that how that works out with white in call time. Moving on to green, our first one we've got the really big pump spell, maybe with a bonus. So might of Marasa, Titanic growth, gift of strength. This kind of effect often adds at least three power and toughness, and usually has something else attached. These are usually fine in the green decks that want to be attacking and winning by damage with you know big beefy creatures anyway, right? Again, you can occasionally use these as a lightning bolt effect targeting an unblocked creature with these to go right to the face sometimes there's a smaller effect that gives uh, something similar like reach or it untaps it something like sudden spinnerets from ikoria but those ones don't come around super often not recently yeah and some of those are kind of lackluster too right gift of strength for instance is one in a green for an instant that gives target creature plus three plus three plus three plus three and reach until end of turn but reach isn't really something you want as an on an aggressive like combat trick so it's it's better uh, on the defensive side of things which can be fine if that's what your deck needs um de defending against flyers is great but uh, it kind of sends a mixed message because i feel like a lot of combat tricks tend to want to be aggressive mm -hmm. i will say uh, a bit of a side note an asterisk on these really big pump spells all of their arts almost always show a small creature becoming really 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 big uh, this actually would kill the creature because it would throw off uh, the ratio of, well, their insides oh to their outsides. Gosh. And I'm just saying, like, even magically, this would really destroy a creature from the inside. There's an excellent video uh, by Kurtzgazat on YouTube about this. I highly recommend you go check it out. I think it has to do with, like, the size of life, it's called. Uh, you cannot actually take a creature like this and make it bigger. It doesn't scale properly. Uh, go check that video out if you want more thing, more information about that. I just think of it every time I see one of these cards. <laughs> And it almost reminds me, like, not to play them. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, that said, uh, we have another another category here for green. This one we call the smaller hexproof and a little bit of a little bit of stats. 
So these are cards like Vastwood Fortification, uh, Blossoming Defense. Oh, Vast, Vastwood doesn't actually give Hexproof, but it does give a little bit of stats area. Um, Blossoming Defense is kind of the, the, the pinnacle of this, right? You get some some stats, plus two, plus two, and then you get Hexproof as well. These depend wildly on what flavor they are. A lot of these are wildly different. Uh, the ones that just provide a small amount of stats are pretty much unplayable, as, as you see with Vastwood Fortification really only being playable because it is an MDFC. And even then, it's one of the worst ones and generally doesn't see play anyway. But the ones that give Hexproof as well as stats have uses outside of combat as well, making them, you know, unable to be killed by a, a removal spell or something of that nature. So they they get a bump because they're a lot more versatile. And these usually range from like the C- to B+, plus, uh, kind of range. You can use this as a trick if you need to, but it's better used for like a big combat blowout, maybe adding stats as well as blanking an opponent's removal tr or, or trick, as we mentioned. So there's actually a really interesting one spoiled for Kaldheim called Snakeskin Veil. This is one green for an instant. Put a 1-1 counter on target creature you control, it gains hexproof until end of turn. This looks a lot like Blossoming Defense, which was a staple of the format and even sees some constructed play in older formats as well. The difference between giving plus two plus two for one mana and giving a one one counter for one mana, and then of course both have hexproof, it's going to depend on which of these ends up being better. I think certain decks will actually want the counter over just the plus two plus two in stats. Well, and call time in particular seems to be a, a, an arc or a format that really cares about those counters. There, there are ways to interact with them and such. So I think it's going to go a little bit further in, in call time than it might have in a different set. Mm -hmm. Last up in green here, we've got the fog. This is something like Thwart the Enemy, Inspire Awe, Commencement of Festivities. This prevents all combat damage that would be dealt to either creatures or creatures and players or maybe sometimes like creatures you control or some other weird thing like that. Uh, these are all Fs. These will always be Fs. Do not put these in your limited deck unless you are playing the most bizarre limited deck in the history of limited decks. Maybe you really absolutely need to survive until you have like the one mega bomb and you cannot win any other way. If you are playing these in your limited deck uh, and you think it's correct, please send us a screenshot. I would love to see any excuse to put these in a deck that isn't, you know, that. I really want an, I really want a format where like the turbo fog deck is a thing that can come together in limited. Like, you just have a bunch of walls, you get fog effects, and like somehow there's some payoff for having all these things. We haven't seen it, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I think yeah. maybe the closest thing we've seen to that is like the shrine deck that never really got there and I mean, occasionally got there, um, mm. but but I'd love to see like an actual turbo fog archetype come together in limited. That would be amazing. I honestly can't even remember any times when these were like sideboard playable. They, they are just never good. Yeah, they're they're pretty much always Fs. So that that kind of so, does it. That's all the colors we got through. We got through all the colors. Um, if you if we missed anything, let us know in the Discord. But overall, as we've said before on the show, learn the tricks of the set. That's one of the first things Ben and I do when when the new spoiler comes out. When we have all the cards, learn the combat tricks. There's a great um account on Twitter that makes these graphics of all the instant speed effects in a format and I tend to post the, the images on those in our Discord as well but uh, just learn the tricks. When you learn the tricks you can understand better how combat's going to happen, what cards can be played with certain mana costs and things of that nature that your opponent might have on you. It gives you the read on your, your opponent, what they might be representing whether or not you should be making blocks, whether or not you should be making attacks and understanding these like archetypal uh, these archetypal combat tricks can really help spend less time memorizing specific cards and just knowing like oh there's a giant growth effect in this in this uh this format and that can really help you leap 
bounds in your your play skill and uh you could see your win rate skyrocket exactly when you are freeing up your brain to be thinking about the actual board state at hand instead of trying to remember wait can white remove a blocking creature uh should i be worried about you know all these uh tokens attacking me and maybe like do, do they have a pump spell is that in the format when you tend to know the archetypes of the combat tricks and when you've played as much limited as we have and you kind of have this these uh, mental notes of what these tricks tend to be like, then that just saves up, that, that opens up extra room for your brain to think about the actual board state in front of you. You don't have to think uh, about it as much. So honestly, this is just a, some little, little, little edge, a little extra percentage that you can add on to your play style and, and your skill. So that in the future, when you come across a situation where you're wondering if they have a combat trick or if you're wondering if you should use yours, think about these heuristics, think about these archetypes, and hopefully uh, combat tricks will be a, a walk in the park for you. Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, if you're interested in hanging out with the community, talking with Ben and I outside of uh, Reddit or Twitter or things like that, check out the Discord. The link to that is always in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page at DraftChaffPod. You can also, if you're so inclined and interested in giving back to the show directly, check out the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash DraftChaffPod. Otherwise, you can reach out to us on Twitter. You can find me at RanikAlfredian or Ben at Betafish1 and the podcast itself at DraftChaffPod. You can also email us at DraftChaffPod at gmail.com and uh, that'll do it. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. So, it's spoiler season. Yes, it's it been is. a rough time uh, in, in you know, the world recently. But I got to say, spoiler season does always bring a smile to my face, knowing that I can just, you know, check the spoiler pages, see a few new cards every day. Gives you something to look forward to. It's it's the, the little things in the pandemic, you know? Yeah, definitely. So our sign off here is we're talking our favorite spoilers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What have you got so far? What are you liking? So I got to say, I'm pretty excited about how they've handled the the gods, right? Like, I was a little mm-hmm. nervous to see uh, Halvar, the first one they spoiled, the, the, the white rare. But now yeah. I've seen, like, we're getting rare gods, we're getting mythic gods. So there's a whole bunch of them, which is kind of interesting. And we were talking mm-hmm. before the show, I didn't realize, for some reason, it never clicked. Like, shapeshifters can also be gods because that's that's a creature type. Yeah. So that's kind of yeah. cool. Um, for the few things that, that care about, like, like the gods matters cards. Um, I, I like Turgrid. I know you're a big Turgrid fan. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'll let you get more into that card. I think it's a fun card. I do. I really like Narfi, the betrayer King, which was spoiled today. It's a snow zombie wizard, uh, which get like buffs all your zombies and snow creatures and then can be returned to the battlefield with snow mana. Um, a lot of the, the new, yeah, the new rare, is it saga is really really cool it's a one-sided board wipe basically and gives you a huge scry and then some card draw like i I really like that curious how that'll be played in in limited it seems pretty good um five mana board wipe could be really good if you really have a a solid giant you know sub theme going on but we'll see we'll see how that goes i guess mystical reflection was another rare i'm really excited to look at that that seems pretty cool to be able to foretell it and have this one mana instant that you can just like copy creatures with like that's it's just pretty sweet uh random kind of unique effect right that we've we haven't really seen before yeah Um, for sure yeah there are a lot of unique cards in this in this set i i'm pretty excited Mm -hmm. to see how a lot of them play out and even at uncommon like a lot of the legendary uncommons are really really cool 
Okay, I, I will say one other card before I let you you talk about your favorites. Tybalt's Trickery. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what is going on in that card, right? So if you haven't seen Tybalt's Trickery yet, it's one in a red for an instant at rare. And it says counter target spell. Yes, there's a red card that says counter target spell. But then it says choose one, two, or three at random. Its controller mills that many cards, then exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card with a different name than that spell. They may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Then they put the exiled cards on the bottom of their library in, any, in a random order. What is going on here? There's so much going on here. And this card has to make it into my, my Ocown's Intersplit commander deck. Like, this is just a perfect chaos card. <laughs> and it counters things. Like, how do I not include that? Yeah, no, you're right. That, that does belong in there. I've been seeing some people saying that it could see maybe some play with Persistent Petitioners, uh, which is historic legal. So you could play a deck that has, you know, 23 lands, uh, a bunch of persistent petitioners, and then uh, four Ulamogs. So because right. it requires that it must put out a card with a different name, you have to play a persistent petitioners, counter it, and then the only other non-land with a different name, uh-oh, it's Ulamog. <laughs> so yeah. you get to uh, free cast an Ulamog for that. I've been seeing some of it in older formats too. I think the fastest thing you can do is it involves like Simeon Spirit Guides and like a zero drop. I think if you use um yeah, you can get like a turn one turn one Ulamog or something stupid with it if you get like yeah. the last draw. I also saw people talking about playing Allosaurus Shepherd with it. Yes, I've seen uh, that as well. Because Allosaurus Shepherd would remain on the stack and you could then still have a legal target if you uh Tybalt's was it Tybalt's Trickery? trickery. Tybalt's treachery? Trickery. If you Tybalt's Trickery into another Tybalt's Trickery, you can just cast that also targeting the Allosaurus Rider before it ever leaves the stack, which is a very cool effect. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild what people are coming up with with this. I've seen a lot of people saying that it's going to be like a meme on ladder because you can hit daily gold grinds with it pretty quick because you can just mull till you see the trickery and design your deck in such a way that all you need is two lands and a Tybalt's trickery to make your your deck actually work. Um, and then you just concede all the games that you don't get those cards. Um, <laughs> it's I efficient. Guess I guess that's a thing you can do. I wouldn't recommend doing that in like leagues or anything, but it's going to be fun. I really like the card. I think it's interesting space for a red card, but it's very Tybalt-y. Like it, it feels like a Tybalt card. And, oh yeah, um, for sure. I'm, I'm excited to put that in my, my Ocown deck for sure. So I'm actually interested in some of the, the limited things that we've got going on. The black limited removal spell, Feed the Serpent, two black black, instant, exile target creature or planeswalker. Isn't that just the best version of this we've seen in, in I, ages? I think it is, yeah. This is this is wildly efficient for a common. Yeah, it seems great. I think the last time we saw this was Daring Demolition, which I, I think might have been a sorcery, and that one was creatures or vehicles, right? I'm checking it now. It's been a while. Also, I love... vehicle, yeah, and it's a sorcery. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, uh, so that's something. I love all the combat tricks that you can foretell. I think that's a really cool mechanic uh, to kind of symbolize the flavor of, like, ooh, something's coming. I'm going to foretell this and then gotcha. Like, playing around things is going to be pretty difficult. And I think there's going to be a lot of bluffing and bluff calling in this set because of it. Uh, Starnheim Unleashed is awesome. Four mana for a 4-4 uh, token with Flying and Vigilance. Or you can foretell it for XX white. 
uh, rather foretell it and then play it for XX white. So you can make uh, just a bunch of four, four angels for relatively low cost. Uh, perhaps my favorite card so far, as you mentioned, is Turgrid God of Fright. The backside Turgrid's Lantern is whatever. It's it's kind of like a uh, Torment of Scarabs, right? Uh, the old throwback. Uh, you can tap it. A player loses three life unless they sacrifice a non-land permanent or discard a card, and you can pay to untap it. Whatever. I don't care about that. I care about Turgrid, who is three black black for a god with menace. She's four or five. Whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent, or discards a permanent card, you may put that card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Yeah, that's just dude. So it's fun. it's it that betrays. I mean, this is amazing. You, it's an it that betrays that you can play as your commander. I'm going to make mono black death. It's just going to be pox and yeah, that and like all cool. these yeah like ways of like having mass discard and uh, you know mass sacrifice. This sounds so much fun. Uh, and now, something I was thinking about, there's no way anyone would let Turgrid stick around once she hits the battlefield. Uh, so there's there's kind of two ways that you can build commander decks. You can build them to play with the table. You can build them to uh, you know mess with your opponents or, or have fun with them. Be like, hey, uh, this effect reanimates one of your things. You give me back one of my things, right? Uh, you kind of have to work with your table. The other way to play commander is to build a deck that's so good that even if everyone tries to stop you, they can't. And that's what I'm going to do with Terrigrid. Yeah, it sounds like a ton of fun to play against. That's, <laughs> Look, that's how I used to play, and none of my decks really ever... Like, I would try to be too creative with them, and, like, all the decks I built were, like, seriously designed to win, but were also a little too creative so that they, they didn't always get there. And my opponents could poke holes in the decks fast enough that it, that a lot of times I just get hated off the table. So I decided, from now on, I'm building decks that either are just very flavorful, flavorful for me that I just really want to play, or are um, what's what's the word I'm thinking of? Just ridiculous. Like Ocount Center <laughs> Split is my favorite deck I've ever built, and it's, it's just absolutely absurd because. It just makes everybody like nobody knows what's going on, and I have to yeah. read all the cards every time I play it. It's like it's amazing. <laughs> I think uh, or Tybalt's trickery is going to be a perfect right for that deck. Definitely. The problem is I don't know what to cut. Nah, eh, I'm sure you'll find something. <laughs> <laughs>